Tune in weekly and listen to the Collateral Damage Podcast, where Michael Wilson and Maureen Kavanaugh host a variety of special guests to discuss topics and available services that will help you learn about the impact that substance use has on our lives, our families, and on our communities nationwide. Episodes and listening information can be found at www.cdpodcast.com. You can also search for Collateral Damage Podcast on your favorite listening platforms or watch previous and future episodes on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Uh, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Collateral Damage. Um, I'm Mike Wilson. And I'm Maureen Kavanaugh. My amazing co-host. And uh, today we have a special guest, uh, Dan Perez, who is the author of As Needed for Pain. And Dan, welcome. Uh, thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, come onto our podcast and share some of your story with our listeners. Thanks for having me. I, I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to come on and talk to you guys. Appreciate that. So I, I, got a, I got a chance to read a little bit. I printed some stories um, and got to explore a little bit about your uh, experience. And, and based on what I read, um, you used to be, uh, you were with Details Magazine, is that right? That's right. I was the editor-in-chief of Details Magazine for 15 years. Wow. Okay. And so, so you had, uh, based on what I read, yours uh, primarily started off as a prescription pill addiction. Is that correct? Yes. And, and it pretty much stayed a prescription pill addiction. Right. Um, I, I was, uh, like so many people, um, unfortunately, in this country, I was prescribed uh, prescription painkillers uh, mm -hmm. due to uh, a back injury, like a yep. fairly standard back injury and, and, and a very standard surgery to correct that injury and, and um, developed just what I would categorize as just a massive crippling addiction uh, to, to opiates. Right. And, you know, the, the reason I ask is because, you know, I hear, I hear that a lot. I'm in recovery myself and, and, you know, my own addiction, there were prescription pills sprinkled in there. Of course, some prescribed by doctors, some that I purchased uh, elsewhere, but it was never just that. So, you know, I don't necessarily identify and I like to hear about the other side of, of addiction. You know, the, uh, basically, it was prescribed. I had someone giving it to me. And, you know, I was able to, uh, when I was using Oxycontin, when they came out early 2000s, I was on that. And when I was using those, even though they weren't prescribed, I still felt like my addiction was a different type of addiction while I was using them because I was just using pills, you know, and I felt... I felt different than I felt like my addiction wasn't the same and therefore I didn't need the same services or the same treatment. And I guess I can just imagine that as somebody that started with and ended with prescription pills, you probably fought that battle quite a bit with yourself that, you know, this is not addiction in the same sense of the word that somebody else is going through with heroin or other oh, you, like you, 100%. I, I had convinced myself that at times let me let me let me say that at times i had convinced myself because i would i would i would have sort of some moments of clarity sort of throughout where i would be like wow you're you're a, a drug addict mm -hmm. um but but i would work past those you know pretty quickly and this speaks to the the power of the addiction right um but i ultimately would would find myself in a position where i would would convince myself that I'm not really a drug addict. You know, these are, these are pills. Mm. This is, you know, this is something that's FDA approved for God's sake. 
and uh, and I'm not out on the street, and I'm not you know stealing or begging or doing anything. I'm you know um, you know a high functioning individual, and and this was this you know I I sold myself this bill of goods to to help sort of justify um my my drug use the reality of course as we all know is that um an addict is an addict is an addict and it doesn't matter you know whether you're wearing a suit and tie or or you know don't have shoes on your feet it really it really doesn't matter you know addiction will um doesn't discriminate in, in any way but yes i and i even write about that in the book you know i i write that like i I was taking these pills and they were being prescribed and they were being filled in a pharmacy and people with white lab coats were involved and it was all like, so, you know, above board, but needless to say, I was seeing five different doctors and going to five different pharmacies and, and ultimately even that, you know, um, couldn't, um, uh, meet the demand that I started to need. And so I then started to, to acquire them illegally. Mm -hmm. And you were so, you sober in 2007, right? That's right. October yeah. of 2007. So there was this whole, you had, and you had a very glamorous career. I mean, this was like details was you were talking and mingling and people, I, I, I read that you brought Anderson Cooper in. I mean, this was like mm -hmm. for people that don't, you know, no details magazine. This was, this was a very, very glamorous career to be the editor in chief of this magazine. Yes, it was, it was an amazing um, opportunity and it was a great career. And, and so I think looking at me from the outside, you would have seen someone that at least maybe within the world of media had, you know, a great job or even an enviable job. But but on the inside, I was I was falling to pieces. I was falling apart. Um, but yes, I was interacting with all sorts of you know really interesting cultural figures, and I and I think I actually thought or maybe hoped at least subconsciously that that sort of interaction in my life would validate me in a way that I needed to be validated or would would fill whatever hole I felt I, I, I had inside of me. And, and, and it didn't, obviously, and, and things like that seldom do. But I was, I was, since I was a young boy, had never, and this, we hear this, if, you know, a lot in recovery, you know, never felt like I fit in, was never comfortable in my own skin. And, I never really felt like one of the guys. And so I was sort of chasing shiny objects, basically, to try to help make me feel better. And, and ultimately, you know, when I, when I discovered um, Vicodin, uh, that I thought at the time did make me feel better and did make me feel whole and did make me feel like me or normal, you know? Mm. Normal is a word that I come back to a lot in my book because um, A, I never felt normal. B, I was often, you know, um, uh, people often said to me, hey man, this isn't normal. Like I heard that a ton 
And um, so normal is like a really interesting buzzword for me, but, but um, taking those pills for the first time after my back injury and surgery, um, I thought, you know, was like coming home and I thought it made me feel normal. Yeah. And what about the social side of that? I mean, was there a culture uh, built into the uh, magazine industry or the, you know, entertainment industry that reinforced what you were doing? I mean, did you find comfort socially with other people doing the same thing? I, I know. Uh, it was a different time too. I mean, it, we're talking about like the nineties and the, and the, you know, it was, it was different at that right, time. We're, yeah. We're talking about the late nineties, really the, the addiction really kind of, um, kind of exploded for me in 2000. So between okay. 2000 and 2007, when I got sober, um, but to, to circle back to your question, you know, I, I, you know, um, opiates tend not to be like a party drug, right? You know, mm -hmm. they, they sort of knock you out and numb you out. There were times, of course, throughout my, you know, years as an active addict where I felt energized by them. In fact, I felt like I couldn't get out of bed without them. Mm -hmm. But I, I have never been a terribly social creature. And, um, and when these pills came into and ultimately took over my life, um, I, I isolated as often as humanly possible. Um, because this was the most important relationship in my life. My relationship to these drugs was the only relationship I cared about. And I was quite willing to let any other relationship, whether it be with a family member or, or a romantic interest or colleagues, bosses, employees, whatever it was, I would let all those relationships go um, without any real regard, if I'm being honest, uh, because the only relationship my only priority were these pills right well i mean the, the reason i ask is because and and it makes sense that you know with opiates it's more of an isolating issue it becomes a dominant relationship you don't really share that with other people but you know like in the uh, in the nfl like everybody knows that everybody's getting hurt and everyone's taking pills like in the entertainment industry or, or right. you know sales everybody knows that well you know the stress causes this so here why don't you take one of these i'm taking these and they kind of share these trade secrets to help you get through what you're getting through and i wasn't i wasn't sure if that was something that you experienced it wasn't i did everything that i could to keep this a secret yeah. you know and and this is this is one of the curses of addiction there are many obviously mm -hmm. but but you know one of them uh, at least for me and in my experience was uh, this this fear of discovery, you know, and that speaks to the stigma related related to to addiction. You know, mm -hmm. a I wanted to protect this secret because this I was having my own little love affair with these drugs, and I didn't want anyone to know, anyone to interfere with that. When when I got to a point several years into my addiction, where I started to in moments recognize that I was a drug addict, um, I didn't have the courage to ask for help because of fear I had associated and shame and embarrassment associated mm -hmm. around the stigma of, of opiate addiction or really any addiction, including alcoholism. So, so for me, one of the reasons I wrote my memoir, I wrote this book was to help uh, destigmatize this addiction and, and 
you know, um, use, use, share my story uh, to, to, to help show people that like, hey, listen, this isn't some lack of willpower or uh, some, you know, deficiency with respect to character. This isn't a moral failure, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, this is this is a disease, and this is part of the human condition. And and I wrote this book to to um, add my voice to to the chorus of others who have also very openly discussed their addiction and alcoholism uh, in an effort to destigmatize this, you know, mm -hmm. and, and 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 maybe show people that there's there is hope out there. Not all is lost. Yeah, it's. I find it really interesting that there's there was such a gap in between the time that you got sober and that you wrote the book. I also wrote a memoir, but I wrote the memoir in the middle of it, mm -hmm. and and it was hard to write it in the middle of it. I cannot imagine going back and revisiting that ten or fifteen years later and then writing about it. Did it bring up a lot of a lot of stuff for you? It it. You know, yes, it did, but not as much as you might think. There were, there were, um, I, I felt like I needed to have um, some sobriety under my belt in order to, to for, again, for me, you know, I mean, everyone can approach it differently, but for me, I wanted to have a little bit of time uh, in recovery, mm -hmm. one. Two, I held the job at Details Magazine for another eight years after getting sober. Yeah. And so- And they would, never knew in between? No, <laughs> I mean, they would have seen, you know, a dramatic change in, in me and they, they would have absolutely uh, noticed that I was more present and more responsive and less irritable and, and I wasn't nodding out. I mean, I write, I write a story in the yeah. book where I, was interviewing someone to come work for me. And I was sitting there in my office with this guy, I'm holding his resume. He's answering some question that I asked him and I nod out in the middle of that meeting. This was, you know, this is how bad things had gotten for me. Um, but but you were taking an extraordinary amount of, uh, of pills. I was, I was, I was taking, I was taking, um, when I was taking Vicodin, and I, I ultimately changed to, to um, other opiates, roxycodone and oxycodone, but, but when I was taking uh, Vicodin, I, was t I got to a point where I was taking 15 at a time mm -hmm. uh, uh, every four hours. You know, I, mean, I would do that maybe four times a day. So as as needed for pain, maybe? as needed for pain exactly and the yeah. pain was deep you know yeah. um I mean, it, it really was um but i didn't want to i wasn't ready to tell this story then the details closed and i didn't have to fear losing my job or anything like that because even though when i you know by the time details closed in 2015 i was sober for eight years yeah but again still the the, the stigma associated with addiction uh, can't be underestimated. And, and I think we see now in 2020, you know, particularly as we, as we're, as we are in an election year, we hear a lot of talk about the opioid epidemic and, and there are, you know, lots of addicts and alcoholics in recovery that are sharing their stories. And I think that that's wonderful. And, and, um, 
you know, people hear these stories and they're like, oh, that's so brave and so courageous. Good for you. Congratulations on your recovery. And that's all wonderful and, and, and hopefully for the most part genuine. But I still believe that inside their minds and, and maybe behind closed doors, there is still judgment passed on addicts and alcoholics. And so, um, you know, even those with, you know, with in recovery. So I came out of my career as a magazine editor at Condé Nast, and then I got to this point where I was like, you know what, like, I have something to say, I have stories to share, and hopefully my memoir can, can help someone that is either struggling themselves with this addiction, or has a family member or a loved one or neighbor that's struggling with it, because this is... Um, you know, sweeping across our country and, and you don't have to look too far within your personal orbit of, of friends and relationships to find someone that has been touched uh, by opiate addiction. Right. I think that's very true. Well, you know, to, to your question of uh, the timing for the book, I mean, I, I, I wrote a book as well. And when I was, if I had written that book while I was active, or right after I got sober, it would have been a totally different book because uh, I would have been lying, glorifying, storytelling, embellishing. It would have been a mess. And, you know, I, I waited probably six years uh, before I started even considering it. And then like seven before I put, you know, pen to paper or, you know, finger to keyboard, whatever. And, uh, and, and still I had to keep going back because I caught myself in my old storytelling yeah. habits and behaviors where I had to go back and make sure I was telling the truth or that I was coming from a place of like, there's a real message of hope here, not just telling glorified tales of my behavior. And it was, it was definitely, I, I don't want to read the book written by an active addict, no. <laughs> but I do, but I do want to read the book from a mom in the midst of it because, you know, I do want to hear about the pain that you might not want to go back and relive. And I want to hear about it raw and I want to hear what you're doing. So your I, book I was written, talking to my daughter the other day and she said, you know, every time I read this book, I get, it gets me all over again. It gets me upset all over again. I said, well, stop reading it over and over again, for God's <laughs> it's sake. It's a book. You can put it down. And she goes, well, you don't do that. I said, you know, I've never read the book cover to cover. I've never done it. I haven't read my book either. I Have you read yours? I, I read mine only by way of like proofreading. Yeah, yeah same. Um, same uh, thing. Because there were, you know, little typos and little things and so on and so forth. But I, I just want to say something to, to the moms, you mm. know, because I think that that, um, I write a lot about my mom. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> I do, and, and, it's, and forgive me, because it's, it's, it's very difficult for me to, to talk about it without getting a little emotional. Um, I grew up in, in a wonderful family and a wonderful community and, and wanting for nothing. And that's not lost on me. I understand that. And, and I'm, I'm very aware of the privilege that I, that I've had, uh, both as a child and as an adult. Um, my mom was uh, always a huge part of my life. And, um, you know, earlier when I said people started at, like saying to me, hey, this isn't normal. Like my mom, like a mother knows, right? Mm -hmm. She may not know exactly what's going on, but she knows when something is off. And mine certainly did with, with me. And, uh, and we, I lied to my mother 
um, nonstop. I avoided her calls. I mean, I was grateful that I lived out of town because mm-hmm. I didn't have to worry about any um, unwanted and unexpected uh, knocks at the door. Um, I think what addicts put their family members through is absolutely brutal. Um, and and um, the challenge of family members and moms and dads and husbands and wives to figure out a balance between being firm and, uh, and loving is, is incredibly difficult. My mother, um, stepped up in such an extraordinary way when I was getting sober. And I went down to her house in Baltimore where I grew up and I withdrew and I, I went through withdrawals and I detoxed. I was there for two weeks and she, for, for, a, for a, a, a parent to have to look at a grown child, I was in my 30s at the point, I was about to become a father myself, to watch someone go through that Um, can be terrifying and heartbreaking, but boy, my mother, it's like I've never seen anything like it before. She was stoic and strong and graceful and loving, Mm -hmm. and, and, um, and she had always been loving, but I'd never seen this other side of her where she watched it happen she nurtured me and and it was just an extraordinary extraordinary thing and i will tell you i uh about six weeks after i got sober um i was back up living in new york um uh my mother came for a visit and she looked at me and she said oh my god you're back Mm. yes i I know that feeling that's a beautiful feeling it's got to be right, you know. Yeah. So for all of the moms out there, for all of the dads, for all of the loved ones and family members that that unwillingly take this extraordinarily crazy ride, this terrifying, um, you know, death-defying ride, um, and and stay strong and stay close. I just say thank you. I have a tremendous amount of gratitude for my to my own mom, of course, but thank you across the board because without love and support, um, it's very difficult for an addict to find their way onto a path to recovery. Right. I think that's such an important message because that that um, that message that's been out there for many years of you got to cut people off and you you know call me when you're sober is such a destructive message. I mean, we can have boundaries and we can, um, and, and, and there are things that we shouldn't do as parents, but none of them is not lo- showing love and, and support. I couldn't agree more, Maria. In, in fact, uh, I, I could not agree more. And so I, I'm grateful that you just said that. When know? I read you detoxed on your mother's couch, I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, listen, it's, um, I think, I think that um, boundaries are incredibly important, as you just said. I think making sure that you're not enabling the addict in any way is incredibly important. And I think it's okay to be tough. The idea of tough love um, is a debatable one for me, if I'm being honest, you know, because it's, it can be defined in lots of different ways. Yeah, we've taken it too far in the other direction. And I, don't I, think, I think so. I think an addict you know, I think anyone, but I think certainly an addict needs to feel loved and supported. And, uh, and listen, you know, th- this isn't discounting the fact that families go through horrible things. They have 
things stolen from them. The families are destroyed over this. And I'm, I'm not minimizing that at all. But for me, the love that I was given by my family, um, the support that I was given by my family, and I'm incredibly blessed to have had it. And that's not lost on me. And I'm super grateful for it. Um, but that stuff was a game changer for me. And I've been asked since the book came out, you know, uh, by people who are dealing with active addicts in their life, what should I do? Uh, and I have said, you know, listen, call them out on their behavior. Let them know that you are on to them. It may wind them up and they may try to gaslight you and make it seem like you're the one that has a problem. But, but call them out on it. But don't stop being loving and supportive. I'm glad you have, I'm glad you're preaching that message because I think it's really important. I know after going through this with my own child, and I will tell you that once, once you're sober, you become magical and perfect again. <laughs> we have very, it's like kind of like labor. Once we go through all that and it passes a little while after it passes, we forget all about it. I don't even know what you're talking about. You weren't that bad. You were. Right. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's funny that you say that because, you know, here this book has come out and my, my mother uh, who lives down in Baltimore, which is where I grew up, um, you know, is is a, a friend from high school ran into my mom the other night. And uh, and this friend sent me a message saying, you know, I just ran into your mother. Oh, my gosh, she's beaming about your book. She's so proud. And I, I wrote back to my friend. I was like, you, you would think that I just, you know, was, was made partner in a law firm or something. Like, <laughs> I actually just wrote a book about my, like, drug addiction yeah and and my mom you know is you know is is acting like you know but like but of course a she's grateful i'm alive as oh, yeah. am i right yeah. because let's be honest we all know um that this is this is a fatal disease um there are 130 opiate related overdose deaths in the u.s every day um and uh it is and that includes heroin heroin and fentanyl and all of that um, and it's just absolutely brutal. So it, it is a miracle. It's a true miracle that I'm, that I'm here alive talking to you guys today. Did you, um, did, were you comfortable speaking, uh, right when you first got sober? Did you, did you come out kind of explaining to people what you were going through? Did you, did you hide it for a little bit? I mean, I did. I kept my anonymity, um, for, from most people for mm -hmm. a while. My family certainly knew um, I, some close friends, maybe just two or three knew. Um, and I ultimately, after a year or so started to tell the occasional colleague, oh, I'm not drinking. And, uh, but it wasn't until I, I, I got a little further into my, my path on, uh, to recovery that I started to feel more and more comfortable, um, disclosing my, um, status as an addict in recovery. This is an incredibly personal decision, right? And yeah. and not anything that I would recommend doing if you really don't feel like you should you should do it. It's an anonymous. I mean, listen, if we're talking about, yeah, you know, I'm I'm very careful to talk about types of recovery because <laughs> I there's not just one way to do it, yeah. right? And and I think that's an important message. Also, yeah. there's not a single path to recovery. I will say that twelve step meetings. Um, are incredibly important in my life and have been since I got sober. Um, and so um, if you're in one of those meetings and, and you, you maintain anonymity, you know, that can be incredibly important. 
you know, yeah. for me, I got to a point where I was like, listen, you know what, like, I'm, I'm proud of, of my recovery. And, and, and I'm sure everybody is. Um, but I was in a position where I thought maybe just maybe sharing my stories can, can help people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just said, all right, screw it. You know, like, this is me. And, and I'm a drug addict. And I say that with neither pride nor shame. I state it as fact. Um, but uh, I do say that I'm an addict in recovery with a tremendous amount of pride. I like that. And you know, the anonymity is not a requirement. It's an option. You know, it's exactly. an option. It's an option set aside for people who feel uncomfortable like you did in the beginning to give you a safe place to get comfortable with what you're going through. But, you know, people hold on to that anonymity. And, and sometimes that that's what's keeping that's what's killing, you know, that like we're not there are not enough people that are comfortable coming out talking about it. And I don't just mean the steps. I mean, all forms of recovery, like whichever one you're doing that, you know, I want to hear more about the recovery than I do the addiction. Um, well, I mean, I think I think that that's a really interesting point, and and that I think goes back to the the way um, we as a culture uh, view alcoholism and addiction and 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 things like that, and and um, I think it's incredibly important that we that we educate you know, and, and may help make people understand, you know, what, what's going on here. And, and right. um, you know, for years, the pharmaceutical companies, um, you know, would spend hundreds of millions of dollars on marketing. I'm sure they still are. And, um, you know, A, obviously falsely minimizing the risk of addiction. Uh, you know, right. We know that piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the other things that they really were trying to do and, and likely are still doing uh, is get this sort of idea out there that it's really just drug-seeking people that are abusing these drugs, and that it's it's the the people that are already high on something else and looking for a new high that are abusing these drugs, and that's just patently false, and we know that, and and mm-hmm. um, but that message is out there, quite frankly, and and I think it's really important to call bullshit on that. For, forgive my language. And, and say, hey, look, like, that's just not the case at all. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, these, these, these drugs, and there are people out there that need them and benefit from them, and I believe that they should continue to get them. I'm not looking to, to shut these companies down. I'm not looking to keep people who um, are desperately in need of these drugs with respect to pain management. I'm not looking to stop them from getting these pills. But, but I think it's really important to say that, you know, um, the, the, this, this epidemic is, is, which is devastating whole communities across the country, um, is impacting anyone and everyone. It is absolutely not just drug seeker, drug seekers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> um, I, you know, I had this moment when, um, the publisher delivered that first box of books and I opened it up and I saw them all staring back at me of, Oh my God, what did I do? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally. Did you, yeah. Did you always, did you also feel like that? And were there people that didn't know that started to talk to you about this or that maybe were, you know, shocked that you had even gone through this? Um, that's so, that's such a, uh, that's such a great question. So yes. So I, I have had, and I think at moments I'm continuing to have these like, oh my God, what have I done? Yeah. Um, uh, it's, out, it's out there. Yeah. You know. Everybody knows every single 
anything about you. Well, and that's the thing because like, you know, and this goes back to the point you, you made earlier about not writing while you're actively using because there goes the honesty right out the window, right? Sure. Yeah. So, so this is like, you know, you know, rigorous honesty, if you will. And I, 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 you know, I dug deep and I, I, you know, would also stop and say, okay, wait a minute. Am I really, you know, am I really saying this the way that it happened? And, you know, it, you know, and so I wanted to be really true to myself, right. To thine own self be true. And, and um, so it was really important for me to, to tell an honest story and honest in my case is also ugly. Right. Yeah. So like I'm, you know, I'm exposing all sorts of things that I'm, I'm happy to share these stories, quite frankly, but there are people, I have kids, my kids have school teachers, my kids have friends who have parents, all of these things. Um, and I weighed all of that as I was writing it. And, and then when that box arrives, I opened it up and was like, gulp, you know, here we go. Yeah. Um, I am getting a lot of people reaching out to me and I'm incredibly grateful for it. It's the most gratifying thing. Uh, either that I know or don't know, just saying, obviously saying thank you and thank you for sharing your story. That's also my story. But I've also had people that I grew up with that I haven't spoken with in, say, 30 years come to me and say, hey, I'm in recovery too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, or I've had moms reach out and say, we're struggling with my son. And I've had husbands reach out and say, we're struggling with my wife. And and so it's it's an incredible uh, thing that happens when you put yourself out there with a story like this. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're doing a real service, I think, by um, by letting people know that this happens in lots of different ways, and it can look differently, but it's basically all boils down to the same, you know, potentially fatal disease. And um, and it's it's you know it's frightening, and I it's brave of you to do this. So I want to. We're going to have to close, but I'm just curious if there's one thing you could do to change things. If you're looking back and you see something kind of overall in, in society even, or even personally, that you think we should focus on, what do you think that is? That's a great question, and it's a, it's a big question, and it's a difficult question to answer. Um, I, I, if, I could, if I could change anything now, um, it would be perception. You know, I, I think, I think I'm a drug addict and, and I am sober for 12 years. I'm a dad uh, to three amazing, beautiful sons who have only ever known me as a sober man. I am an active member of my community. I have had a great career as a sober person. Um, like, I, I, don't judge me. And don't judge addicts. If any of anything, if, if you know, I'm not looking for a pat on the back. I'm not looking to be congratulated. But but just take a minute to to understand that that this is a disease. And for those that that manage to survive and pull themselves through it and work toward recovery. And I say work toward recovery because it, it is it is incredibly difficult. And 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 it's you know there are people that that will have slips and so on and so forth. And that's, that's totally, you know, um, normal. Um, don't, don't judge, don't judge us. Right. You know, I mean, it's as simple as that, you know, help, help us yeah. offer help, you know, offer compassion, offer empathy, but don't, don't judge us because, um, you know what, like this is, 
this is this is a human condition, like I said. And and so if I could change one thing, it would be perception. I'm I love with you. that. I'm I love with you. that. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much. And it's Dan Perez, and it, the name of the book is Needed for Pain. As Needed and, for Pain, yeah. And it's published by. It's published by Harper Collins, and so it's it, everywhere. It's anywhere where books are sold. Amazon, absolutely everywhere. As Needed for Pain. Awesome. I love it. Thank, Thank you so you. much for joining us, Dan. I really appreciate it. And um, I will, uh, I'm actually going to look forward to reading your book because yeah, I want to hear the other side of this. And like I said, my experience is different. So I want to, I want to read about yours. So. Thank you guys so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Take care. Take care.